When I was younger, driving around with my friends at night, we would often partake in a rousing game of padiddle. When a car was spotted with only one working headlight, the first person to spot said car, punch the roof, and yell padiddle, got a point. If it turned out to be a motorcycle or the other headlight was obscured by something, it was a penalty, and we probably got to punch you. If you're young and judging me in any way, keep in mind that we didn't have smartphones to keep us busy. I don't know how we started playing or where it even came from. I was surprised to find search results when I googled the word padiddle. I assumed it was something that my friends and I had made up out of boredom one night, but like everything else, it was passed on in some similar form from generation to generation. Depending on where in the country you live, it may have been called perdiddle, or spelled differently with a P-E instead of a P-A. It turns out that there are also people who not only played padiddle, but played padaddle, which meant a car's taillight was out. Some claim to have even called the elusive padiddle padaddle. I'm skeptical because that's the stuff of legend. The only thing the internet seems to be able to agree upon is that the first instance of it being used in pop culture was a 1948 Archie comic strip. In the old black and white newspaper comic, Archie is hanging out with a young lady on her porch. Archie offers up the idea of playing a game called Padiddle. Every time a car passes by with only one headlight, she has to give him a kiss. The girl agrees to the game, even though there's absolutely no reward in it for her if they don't see any. Out of nowhere, here comes a car with one headlight. Padiddle, calls Archie. Not wanting to break the rules, she kisses him. This happens six more times before suddenly his buddy Jughead comes running up from the backyard letting Archie know that he can't drive the car around the block anymore because the cops busted him for only having one headlight. Which, by the way, Archie damaged to help further his plan. I'm too young to be an original Archie guy and too old to be into the Riverdale show, but if I'm going to be real with you, Archie sounds like kind of a turd. Apparently, Padiddle started off as a kissing game, and in some cases, there are reports of it being a game where clothes were removed every time a Padiddle was called. If movies have taught me anything, it's that teens in the 1940s and 50s were bored, and boredom led to smooching and junk. For me, it was about punching roofs and punching each other. So is Archie creator Bob Montana responsible for the word? Sure, we can give him credit. It doesn't really matter anyway. That's not why we're here. Episode 9, Step on a Crack. Do you have any superstitions? Any good luck things you rub? I have a few, but my biggest one spawned from Padiddle. For roughly six of the ten or so years I worked in Toledo, I drove an hour home every night around 1 a.m. It was just me and the truck drivers heading northbound on I-75. I wasn't often tired, but when I was, watching for Padiddles helped pass the time. Now, somewhere in that time frame, padiddle lost its original meaning for me. Seeing a padiddle and punching the roof isn't as rewarding when you're playing by yourself, but something needed to be done. I couldn't just let a car with one headlight pass by unrecognized. So the spotting, punching, and calling out morphed into spotting, kissing my knuckles, and then tapping the roof with the kissed knuckles. Why? I seriously have no clue, but I can tell you two things. One. I felt an urgent urgency to collect as many as I could and store them in my padiddle bank because I convinced myself that if I had one for every night I drove home, nothing bad would ever happen during my trip. And number two, I still do it to this day. No lie. If you drive by me while I spot a padiddle, you will see me kiss my hand and slap it against the roof. 
not with as much gusto as I used to. I'm more self-conscious nowadays and like to see who's around me first. My padiddles are much stealthier than before. So because of superstition, I took a game which used to get you kissed by a pretty girl and turned it into some obsessive compulsive nightmare where if I didn't get enough padiddles, I'd get run off the road by an angry trucker. Although I still run through the motions, I no longer keep count or store them for a dry week of padiddleless driving. I figure I have enough for a few years still by now. I think I'm okay. This is sort of unrelated, but I remember that someone started a rumor that if you flashed your brights at a driver who didn't have their lights on, that it could be a gang member taking part in a gang initiation rite of passage. The gang member would then turn around, catch up with you, and cause your demise. That may or may not have actually been a thing. I refuse to Google it as it freaked me out, and I still don't alert drivers who are driving with their headlights off, even now. The definition of superstition is a widely held but unjustified belief in supernatural causation leading to certain consequences of an action or event or a practice based on such a belief. In layman's terms, padiddles save lives. So what are the most common superstitions out there? The ones we hear the most about. Friday the 13th, of course. The number 13 means bad luck for many people. Have you ever been to a hotel that skips the 13th floor? Or on an airplane where there's no 13th row at all? There's walking under a ladder, breaking a mirror, opening an umbrella inside, black cats, death coming in threes. Now sure, there are good superstitions. Salt over your shoulder, horseshoes, four-leaf clovers. Those aren't as fun though. You come here for the weird stuff. Whether you can instantly think of one or not, chances are that superstitions, good or bad, probably play at least a small role in your lives in some way. Superstitions are often tied into religion. It can also be linked to wanting more control over things or the feeling that you need some luck in your life. Every time I see 11-11 on a clock, I think it means I get a wish. The wishes rarely come true, but the one or two times they did make me continue the ritual, which is way too often. So is it just your everyday Joes like me who have superstitions? No. Celebrities do too, and often they make ours look rather pedestrian. Superstition in sports is rampant. From watching pitchers jump over the foul line on their way back to the dugout, to not washing a jersey or shaving your beard, rituals at the free throw line and before a field goal. Remember a very famous football player named Ray Finkel? Ace Ventura saved the day eventually, sure, but Ray went crazy, all because the laces on the football he was about to kick were supposedly aimed the wrong way. Even one of the greatest basketball players to ever play the game, Michael Jordan, reportedly wore the same pair of shorts under his uniform in every game he ever played in. Supermodel and television host Heidi Klum carries her own baby teeth with her everywhere she goes to ward off evil. Keith Richards of the Rolling Stones eats a shepherd's pie before every show. If anyone else cuts into it before he can, he demands a new shepherd's pie and won't take the stage until he gets it. That guy is like 104 years old. It's working for him, I guess. When Lucille Ball was three, a bird flew into her home and became trapped. Unfortunately, her father died later that day. She reportedly wouldn't stay in a room with birds and pictures or in the wallpaper, and there were never any sort of knick-knack bird decor in any of her shows. Axl Rose from Guns N' Roses? Well, he refuses to play in cities that begin with the letter M. Jennifer Aniston will only enter an airplane if she taps the outside of the plane on the way in, and her first step on board has to be with her right foot, or she won't fly. My adapted padiddle is weird, so I won't judge any of them, except maybe Heidi Klum. That's just creepy.
some of the specific ones, maybe we can get a better idea of how this all started. Let's start with mirrors. There are three big superstitions surrounding mirrors. The obvious one that everyone knows is that if you break a mirror, you get seven years of bad luck. Apparently, this one stems from the ancient Romans. They believe that a mirror contains fragments of our own souls, so breaking a mirror would cause you to have bad luck and upset the balance of your health and well-being. Romans believed that the broken mirror held a seven-year curse and once lifted, the fragments were made whole again. In Mexico, they strongly advise against having two mirrors facing each other in a room. If you've ever looked upon two mirrors, you know it causes infinite reflections. While it's fun when you're a kid, it also could be dangerous. When two mirrors face each other, it is said that it opens a doorway for the devil to escape into our world. At my home, we have one bathroom, and in that bathroom are two mirrors facing each other. That explains a lot. Part of the Jewish mourning tradition is to cover all mirrors near the deceased. There are a couple of reasons families may do this. The practical purpose would be to prevent mourners from being vain and to focus more on remembering the dead. The more superstitious idea, however, is that it prevents the soul from being reflected back during its attempt to pass out of the body and onto the afterlife. Getting back to souls, did you ever wonder why we are raised to say bless you or God bless you when someone sneezes? Bless you! It's not just because it's polite. Our crazy Roman friends started this one as well. Their take on both sneezing and yawning is that your soul, which also leaves while you're dreaming, according to them, can become separated from your body if you yawn or sneeze too hard. Saying bless you is a way to safeguard against your spirit wandering away. So does that mean we should also say bless you after a yawn? <sighs> Throughout history, black cats have never been able to catch a break. Some would say rightfully so. Not me, though. I like cats. Uh, I'm not allergic at all. I don't think they're evil. All right, fine. I don't like cats. There, I said it. You can be mad at me all you want, but at least I'm not like these people. In the Middle Ages, some folks associated black cats with the devil and blamed them for causing the Black Death pandemic. They would hunt and exterminate any black cats that crossed their path. A couple of hundred years later, when everyone accused everyone else of being a witch, people figured that black cats were the witches familiars. Familiar, in this sense, means a demon supposedly attending and obeying a witch, often said to assume the form of an animal. Ever knock on wood? If so, you are participating in something that more than likely began with ancient paganism. These cultures believed that their spirits and gods lived inside of trees. They would knock on the trunks to call out their gods for protection and luck. Death is another topic that comes with a myriad of superstitions. In the Philippines, there's a tradition called pagpag. When you leave a funeral, never go straight home. You should always go out to dinner or shopping afterwards. That way, you can lose the spirit that is likely following you before you get home. Next time you're at a funeral, go straight home afterwards if you don't believe in pagpag. Do you want ghosts? Because that's how you get ghosts. In Japan, the word for thumb translates to parent finger. Because of this, if you see a Japanese person walking through a cemetery, you may see them tucking their thumbs into their pockets. It's said that doing so protects their parents from death. As Lucille Ball apparently knew, birds are often tied into death. Owls, crows, ravens. You don't want any of those guys staring at you or circling your home. If a bird crashes into your picture window, move. If one gets into your home, move. Birds can be good omens as well, though. Some people believe that seeing a cardinal nearby could actually mean that a loved one is checking in on you. I'll admit, I thought that was all hubbub until after my mother passed away last year. For three days after, while I was doing some landscaping work for my neighbor, I had the same beautiful cardinal hanging around me for hours at a time. 
Perhaps it was just guarding a nest, but it seemed pretty calm to me. And it also told me I needed a haircut and scolded me for not calling my grandmother more. If I don't laugh about it, I'll cry. Placing coins over the eyes of the deceased. Holding your breath when you pass a cemetery. Someone walking over your future grave and giving you goosebumps. The list goes on and on. Before we go any further, let me run through some of the wackier superstitions around the globe. In India, you shouldn't clip your fingernails at night. Also, don't even think about getting a haircut on a Saturday. If you chew gum at night, Turkish people believe that it will turn into the flesh of the dead inside of your mouth. In the UK, make sure to say rabbit, rabbit, or white rabbit when you first wake up on the first day of each month. It's good luck. Some people think you can just say it out loud yourself. Some people believe you have to say it to the first person you come across that day, which could get weird. Brazilians believe that setting down your wallet or purse on the ground will leave you with horrible financial luck. In Portugal, walking backwards is said to be like a GPS for the devil. Rwandan women are warned against eating goat meat. And while that might be a clever trick by Rwandan men to keep all the meat to themselves, it's also said to cause facial hair growth and stubbornness. And Egypt? Well, they've got a thing with scissors. If you open scissors and then close them without having cut anything, it's sad trombones for you. They also think you shouldn't leave them open. And I think you shouldn't run with them. But that's safety more so than superstition. And last, but certainly not least, in South Korea, fan death is a real fear. Sleeping with a fan on is a big no-no there. Now, in some Asian cultures, there are ancient medical texts describing the wind and its ability to cause insanity or stupidity. That actually reminds me of a friend of mine who used to date a girl that complained of wind headaches. We certainly found her to be both insane and stupid, but I digress. I can remember being warned as a child that sleeping too close to a fan could cause you to get sick. I'm not sure who told me that, but I imagine a fan blowing air into your mouth or nostrils all night could certainly cause some dryness. It is widely believed in South Korea, however, that a fan running in an enclosed room might, and probably will, kill you. When I first stumbled upon the articles discussing fan death, the horror lover in me hoped it meant that the fans spin so fast that they detach from the ceiling and kill you, Final Destination or Saw style. That's not the case. Hmm, sad. The concern in South Korea is that a running fan will cause nausea or facial paralysis at best and death by asphyxiation at worst. Coming this summer to a theater near you. Fan Death for. Ah, Karen, that was the best dinner I've ever eaten. Thank you so much for being such a wonderful wife. Oh, Chad, I'm so glad you enjoyed it. And thank you for cleaning up the kitchen afterwards. You're the best husband ever. Marriage is wonderful. I love us. Rated D for dumb. I'd watch that movie. I've also made a movie poster for the film. You can check it out at curator135.com. And since we're in the month of St. Patrick's Day, let's discuss the bevy of superstitions that surround the holiday. St. Patrick's Day is steeped in religion. It's observed by the Catholic Church, Eastern Orthodox, Lutherans, and more. The day commemorates St. Patrick and the arrival of Christianity in Ireland and celebrates Irish heritage and culture. Lenten restrictions on eating and drinking alcohol are typically lifted for the day, which may have been where the idea of pounding cruddy green beer all day came from. St. Patrick's Day is the most widely celebrated national holiday in the world, 
primarily for the wrong reasons. Guilty, St. Patrick is said to have used the shamrock, a three-leafed plant, to explain the Holy Trinity to the pagan Irish. So that may explain how four-leaf clovers became a big part of the holiday, but there's still a ton of superstition, myth, and folklore that is a complete mystery. According to Wikipedia and the dictionary, a leprechaun is a small in stature supernatural being in Irish folklore, classed by some as a type of solitary fairy. As you know, they are typically little bearded men wearing a coat and a hat, and they're often tricksters. They're also said to be shoemakers, who keep a hidden pot of gold at the end of rainbows. Interesting fact. Prior to the 20th century, it was said that leprechauns wore red, not green. Leprechauns, while myth, folklore, and legend, also fall under superstition, especially when it comes to catching one, making it tell you where his gold is hidden, or searching for the end of a rainbow. Around St. Patrick's Day, I always think of the news report out of Mobile, Alabama, that went viral in the mid-2000s. Here's a clip. Well, just in time for St. Patrick's Day, crowds are coming by the dozens to get an up-close view at what some say is a piece of Irish folk folklore. Some people in the Crichton area of Mobile say a leprechaun has taken up residence in their neighborhood. A leprechaun. NBC 15's <laughs> Brian Johnson has more. Curiosity leads to large crowds in Mobile's Crichton community, many of you bringing binoculars, camcorders, even camera phones to take pictures. To me, it looked like a leprechaun to me. I got to do look up in the tree. Who else in the leprechaun say yeah? Yeah! yeah! Could be a crackhead that got hold to the wrong stuff. And it told me to get up in a tree and play a leprechaun. Others just came to get lucky in hopes a pot of gold may be buried under this tree. I'm going to run a backhoe and uproot that tree. I want to know where the gold is. I want the gold. Give me the gold. I want the gold. This is Brian Johnson, NBC 15 News. That newscast is full of people with at least enough belief and curiosity to visit the tree and get a look for themselves. And it's hilarious. I've posted a picture of the artist's interpretation of what the Crichton leprechaun looks like. That's also hilarious. In Ireland, as I mentioned, they have a lot of superstitions tied into the day. For instance, if you're doing some cleaning on St. Patrick's Day, don't drop the dish towel that you're cleaning with. If you do by accident, it almost certainly means an unexpected visitor will soon be at your door. Now that sounds ominous, but I suppose it could just be a crazy aunt or someone like that. If your significant other ever offers a lock of their hair to you, say no thank you. It's bad luck, and also creepy. Accidentally or purposely kill a robin redbreast? That's more bad luck. We've discussed black cats already, but in Ireland, if a black cat crosses your path, you're supposed to make a triangle with your forefingers and thumb, and then spit at it. When I was little, we'd make those paper cootie catchers to find out who we're going to marry, how many kids we're going to have, what kind of home we're going to have. In Ireland, the way they predict the future is to put a snail on a plate of flour, cover it, and leave it overnight. When you wake up, the snail will have made a path spelling out the initials of your future spouse. It's science. So as we near the end of the episode, what have we learned? Not a ton, except there are some strange superstitions on every continent and in every language. We've learned that some superstitions can be explained. Most have ancient roots and quite a few of them stem from religion. So why do our brains sometimes give credence to certain superstitions? What causes us to feel like luck is either completely on our side or completely against us? If I'm going on a road trip and someone says, hope you don't get a flat tire, does it really alter the course of events if I knock on my dining room table before I get in my car? I read an interesting article on medicalnewstoday.com. 
from a couple of years ago, where Jane Risen, a professor of behavioral science at the University of Chicago Booth in Illinois and a member of the American Psychological Society, used the so-called dual process model of cognition to explain our belief in superstitions. According to Risen, humans can think both fast and slow. The former mode of thinking is snappy and intuitive, while the latter is more rational, and its main job is to override the intuitive judgment when it finds errors. The dual thinking model is an established one, but in the case of superstitions, Risen suggests that the model should undergo refinements. The researcher notes that error detection does not automatically involve error correction. In other words, people can realize that their belief is wrong, but still act on it. So if I'm understanding correctly, in my example from a moment ago, the fast, impulsive part of my brain wants to quickly knock on wood, while the slower, rational side says, this is dumb. That side recognizes the silliness, but also says, ah, what the heck, might as well. The article also states that superstitions have evolved to produce a false sense of having control over outer conditions and reduce anxiety. This is also why superstitions are prevalent in conditions of absence of confidence, insecurity, fear, and threat. That makes sense. We can use any help we can get in some cases, and in that way, superstitions can act as a bit of a security blanket. The flip side of the coin is that when things are bad or spiraling, we may look at superstitions as the bad guy to keep the blame off of ourselves. I failed that math test because a black cat crossed my path on the way to the bus. But in actuality, you just didn't study for it and chose to play video games all night. Either way, though, I need to know, did you form a triangle with your forefingers and thumbs and spit at it? Some doctors believe that many superstitions tie in with obsessive-compulsive disorder. That also makes sense. I do the exact series of events every time I see a car coming with one headlight. So maybe I believe that it keeps me safe for another day, or maybe I just can't help myself but to do it each and every time. As you know by now, I tend to pick a topic for an episode and then research so hard that it ends up coming out differently than intended. I try to discuss things that will get your creative juices flowing, and maybe this helped in some way. There's certainly a lot of creativity and translation and molding that goes into superstitions. What are some of yours? I'd love to hear them. Say hi to me on Facebook and Twitter, stop by curator135.com and send me a message. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast on any of the major podcast apps. Until next time, be good to one another and be creative. The world needs you. And also, if you don't like and subscribe to this podcast in the next three days, you will grow hair on your kneecaps. Thick hair. Unshavable hair. <laughs>